0: Yes. (laughs) Let's go. I should just not even, you want to come back up? I mean, amen, right? Like that's a word from the Lord. Super good. Excited for tomorrow night. Clear your schedule. I don't care if you're busy. Clear it. Show up tomorrow. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be a good night. Um, We're continuing in our Bridge to Becoming series looking at the vices and virtues. What have been known throughout the history of the church as the seven vices and seven virtues. And what it looks like to not just pursue the godly things that that Jesus desires for us, but to recognize that to pursue things like what we talked about in purity, what we talked about in kindness. Tonight, what we're going to talk about in pursuing self-control, to pursue those things, it's not in our own power or strength or will that we can actually do that. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's go. So tonight, I get the sexiest vice of all. Yep, said it like that. Gluttony. (laughs) Let's go, let's go. Have any of you guys ever seen the like Nathan's hot dog eating contest? Let's go. Yeah, someone back there's like, yep, signed up for it. Didn't go well. Like, I always like assumed that I would be great at that stuff, (laughs) but I don't think I can eat that much food. In 2016, there was a, a a a. Man, a, a young man, a little man, and I'm gonna mispronounce his name so bad it's gonna be, it's gonna actually make me frustrated. But I think it's Takiru Kobayashi, maybe. He came and he ate and crushed the previous record. He ate 69 hot dogs. 69, 69 hot dogs. Crushed the record by like 30. Came and, and won this thing, and wasn't even close. And then a couple years later, an American, because this is what Americans do, came and he ate 74 hot dogs in that same amount of time, which equated to 16 pounds of food, which is the correct response to that (laughs) statistic. But what's happened in America, and with every vice that we've even talked about, is Americans, and, and, and just not even Americans, but the reality of the world, because this is what the world does, because the world is full of sin, and that's just the reality, is that we've exploited these vices so bad that we've magnified them. And not only to support them, but to glorify them. It's now we have restaurants creating meals and creating these big, huge things that if you eat all of it, you get the meal for free. So it's like, all right, not only do I get a ton of food, I ain't got to pay for it. Sign me up. Anyone love a good buffet? Let's go, right? I mean, who doesn't like that? I mean, COVID ruined everything, including buffets. Come on. But this is what happened. we've, we've not, We have made the vice of gluttony not just into a game, but we've perfected it. And there's a reality that happens when we pursue any vice, but specifically tonight, the sexiest one of them all, in gluttony. It's become such a norm in our culture that we're actually afraid to talk about it. Because it's not just a cultural world thing. We've allowed ourselves to be okay with it in the church. And what I'm going to talk through, and, and, and hear my heart for this, and this is in every message we speak, but specifically with this series, is that we wanted to do this series that we'd be able to pursue well together the heart of God for us and what he desires for us. Recognizing that the amazing, beautiful, awesome commands that we see in scripture are not ones that he has left us on our own to try to fulfill. But again, he's empowered us with the spirit to go pursue what he desires for us and why he's giving us these commands. Gluttony in and of itself is not just a struggle of maybe the overweight. Uh, statistically it says that two-thirds of Americans are obese. And what's hard about that statistic is, in my mind, garbage, because they use something called BMI, uh, uh, you guys are smarter than I am. But they use that, and it's like, well, I know some really fit people that are actually extremely healthy, that their BMI technically is obese. So it's just a weird, like, we have this assumption that gluttony is only for those that are overweight. But the reality is that gluttony is not just for that gluttony is a selfish act of finding our own way of nourishment it doesn't matter if it's overconsumption or indulgence which is a part of it but it's as i'm pursuing something physical something that was created i'm allowing that to be not just my physical nourishment but my spiritual fulfillment and we're going to push into this a little bit and talk about this and we're going to talk about the, the virtue of self-control And what that looks like is Self-control is what we need to pursue To combat the, the vice of gluttony But what I want to go to too is, is go to a meal that we see in scripture So if you ever, if you ever Bob Open up to Luke 22 If you ever phone, get it open Luke 22 verse 7 And we're going to look at Jesus' last meal on earth With his, with his disciples and, and what happens here is a, a, a ton of things, one But what I think is really, really beautiful And, and taking some freedom Jesus is giving us an opportunity to point us to what he desires us to feast on. And so Luke 22, verse seven, we're gonna read this together the Last Supper. It said, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, this is insane, this is incredible, just just hear this: As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. That's it. No other description than it's just a guy carrying a jar of water. And then don't go up and say hi to him. Creepily follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, owner of the house, the teacher, who Jesus was known as in this area, ask where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. So they left found things exactly how Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Like, how cool is that? Just, just think about this, because what had to happen here is, obviously, God was on the move. Right? They needed a place. They didn't have a place. They're in Jerusalem. It's not their hometown. They're hated by a lot of people, but also embraced and loved by a lot of people. And so what happened is God was talking to a man who apparently at one time or another was going to be just carrying a random jar of water. And God said, most likely to him, hey, some guys are gonna follow you home. It's okay. And it happened. This, I just, I, I think that's all I'm gonna say about that, but how cool is that? Just, like, just our God moves in awesome ways. I love it. And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles were climbed at the table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, He gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Can I get an amen? Amen. So we see the last supper of Jesus, they're celebrating the Passover. And I'm going to get to that a little bit and what that means. But what they're doing is they're having a feast. But it's not just an ordinary feast. Jesus does something different with this feast than what the disciples, the apostles who were sitting there with him were expecting. Jesus is using this feast to help point towards what he truly wants us to feast on. It's one where God wants to reach us, to fill us, and have us receive Him. And so in this moment, Jesus takes a meal, which we normally just look at as something strictly physical, and He makes it, like only Jesus can, into a spiritual, awesome reality. Because the real issue with gluttony is that it's not just physical, it's a spiritual issue. It's more than just what I'm consuming. It's about a desire that I have to want my fulfillment to come from a created thing. Gluttony starts with a desire to have what I want right now my way. Yes, it is the greedy eater, the gulp down swallow, which we've all been there, but it's also eating small portions in my way. The way that I desire. The way that I want a a theologian named John Cassius says, eating, gluttony is eating what we know will kill us, gorging oneself all at once or bit by bit. And I know there's a reality when it comes to gluttony we can be gluttonous in other things than food. And a lot of the context in scripture when it talks about gluttony is specifically food. Like there's a reality that we can overconsume consume and overindulge in a lot of things in life, right? But specifically, and tonight a lot of stuff I'm gonna talk about. And examples I 'm going to give are our food stuff, but this is, it happens just so much bigger than just food like there 's a great message that the porch gave on, on and they didn 't use the vice gluttony. they used the vice drunkenness because it is a vice. so if you have time, look up the porch, you do a vice message call you can 't get into all of it because I only have seventeen minutes left but we 're going to look at real quick five practices of gluttony and and it was amazing just to have you guys here from all over the country circuit writers here and 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 i love walking around the sanctuary during worship and when they're practicing and every sunday i do this i just i enjoy it I, I pray over the season it's just something for me just to even like hey holy spirit i know you have something for me too right and so they're they're getting started and Aaron starts singing this first song and it's it, it set a fire right and he's going in and it's awesome and i'm like oh this is so good. it's so good so good And then he goes into the part, he's like, I want more, I want more. I was like, yes, I want more. And then I started remembering, hey, I'm talking about something tonight. And I'm going to go into five specific characteristics of gluttony. And the first one is supersize me. So instead of in this song where we just say, I want more Jesus, right? I want more, I want more. We go, I want more McDonald's fries, right? Supersize me. (laughs) Have you seen the movie? This is what it does. It's I want more, not Jesus. It's a simple act of eating, pursuing, desiring more than we need. Man, I, I'm I struggle with this. I'm gonna I'm gonna share. Oh man, Jana, I'm gonna man, I'm gonna go over. I apologize. She does so well at giving me enough time, and I never make it. Like pray for her. Um, <laughs> but I would do this thing. I think I've told, I don't remember if I told this story here or not. I would do this thing when I was in college. And I would go to, and not in college, I did this like three years ago when I was 30. But I would do this thing where I'd go to like McDonald's, and I would order two meals and get two drinks so the people thought I was ordering for two people, but it was all just for me. Like I was so insecure. That's how I supersized. I don't know how you guys supersize. But for some reason, mentally, it just made me feel not great, not a not, not good look, wasn't I've repented. I don't do that anymore. I haven't done it in a while. (laughs) But super Simple act of eating more than we need. I think some of you are laughing like, yeah, I've been there. like, let's connect after. Um, The second characteristic of gluttony is grazing, right? Snacking, which increases our frequency of eating, causing us to consume more than we need by the end of the day, right? Like, like professional grazer here. Just, just him. It's, it's not, I, I, I'm the, like, folder of laundry at our house, my wife is the washer. It's just the roles that have been established in our home. And so I fold the laundry, but for some reason, I can't just fold the laundry. I need something to eat as I fold the laundry. And I tend to pick the worst things. Like I'll open up a bag of potato chips and get my salty hands all over the folded towels. <laughs> Terrible, because I'm a grazer. It's, I'm going from the, the living room into our bedroom, and I have to pass through the kitchen. Well, there's cookies or something on the island, so i got to grab a cookie, because I'm a grazer. A characteristic, we graze. I'm just going to grab a handful here while I'm reading, doing homework. Food ends up being involved in everything that we do. You ever been on a road trip without snacks? It's not a road trip, right? Grazing. Number three, branding. We're seeking more lavish foods, developing a taste for certain brands. And not just certain brands, but we create activities and, we, and branding comes into play here. So like, anyone been to a state fair, county fair, any fair? Yes. Right? Okay, amen. Good. For me, it wasn't a fair experience if I didn't get a funnel cake. Let's go. I shouldn't amen it, but Yes. And like, actually, it's not just like I didn't get a funnel cake and it, like the fair experience was the worst. It was like, I left disappointed if I didn't give him a funnel cake. And you got to ask for extra power sir. God, I I struggle with this one. (laughs) I'm fortunately way too good at all five five of these things. But Brandon, we we seek things because again, it's not just a physical issue. There's a reality where it's a uh, spiritual issue that it's, I'm craving things, indulging things the way I want, how I want them. Number four, scarfing. And this is the epitome of the culture we live in, right? What pace are you guys at? You ever experience a moment where you couldn't even sit down and eat, you had to take it with you in the car because you were late to the next thing? Amen? I've done that. This is our pace of life. It's not, we don't enjoy it actually in any way and because we don't enjoy it and we force it into our body because you still need some aspect of nourishment, what ends up happening is that ungratefulness starts to breed because we don't recognize the provision that we've actually been given something great because food is not on everyone's table. There are people in this town who don't have a meal at night. Number five, special ordering. Da, 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 da. I'm loving it, right? What's the Burger King one? Have it your way. Which one's that one? Is that BK? That's the epitome of special ordering number five. Want it our way, being finicky. C. S. Lewis says the gluttony of delicacy, not of excess. Uh, went to I mentioned this I don't know, if it was last week or weeks ago, I went to a Honduras on a mission trip when I was in college. And we went and I got like, we were there for two weeks. I got horribly sick, like insanely sick because I think I had like a parasite from something. I don't know. But I was like in bed with fever, like thought I was gonna die, just could hold down water a little bit, but got super, super sick the first week of the trip. And then the second week uh, I made the excuse of allowing my sickness, because I got better. But some of the food that they had served us for me didn't look appetizing. And so I made the excuse of being sick to not eat the food that didn't fit my standards. And in that moment, I was a glutton because it wasn't special ordered the way that I wanted it, the way that I desired. What this ultimately is saying, it's yes, sometimes it's about the food, but it's not always about the food It's about the desire. Gluttony, a lot of the time if we really look at it, is more about the direction of our desires than the content of our cupboards. We think it's about food, but it's really what's going on in my soul. Gluttony is our appetite to crave more from something than it was designed to give. We have idolized creation and gluttony in being our selfishness and desire and to have it our way, how I want it, when I want it, has idolized creation and put aside the creator. It's made what the psalmist said in 34, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. What we've done is we've allowed food to be the thing that we taste and see and not Jesus. And so I think what Jesus is trying to help us with, even in the Lord's Supper and in all of his teachings is helping us recognize and understand and and point us to how am I that person, the thing that you taste and see that is good. He wants us to stop pursuing our fulfillment in being a what. And he wants our fulfillment to be in a who and his name is Jesus. I gotta talk a little bit about the feast that they were having, because feasting isn't bad, right? I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Luke 22, 7 through 8 say, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. What was amazing about this is this was a, a yearly feast that happened all the time to remember the moment in Exodus when the plague of a murder of a firstborn son went through Egypt, all of Egypt. And Moses had spoken to the people of Israel, to God's people and said, put... Mark blood on your door that when the spirit passes by, he will pass your door and your firstborn will be, will be spared. And so every single year, they had a feast, a celebration to remember the grace and mercy extended by God when he passed over their door. So they were celebrating. Feasting isn't bad, but what we don't know about this culture and what happened is that this feast and this celebration, the Passover, came on the heels of a fast. What happened the night before they would do the, the Passover, the meal, and the celebration is that every firstborn son of, of, of Israel would fast from sunrise to sunset. And they fasted in that, in that they worshiped. And they confessed of sin. And they remembered what God had done in, his, in it and for his people. And in fasting, it prepared them to celebrate in the feast. The Israelites had this, and, and if they did it well, and they worshiped in it well, and they were grateful in it well, they had this incredible cycle of fasting and feasting. And it wasn't just in this moment. It was opportunity to, to fast and lay oneself down, but also to feast and celebrate and be grateful. See, gluttony is rooted in ingratitude and ungratefulness. We're not able to celebrate who God is, what he's done, because we're too busy, worried about where my next meal, per se, is coming, where I'm going to get fulfilled next, not just physically, but spiritually. What was happening in the Last Supper was so much bigger than the apostles had understood and recognized It was something, again, that was more for food to help us understand and see that Jesus desires to be our fulfillment. So, the virtue that combats gluttony is, like I said, self-control. And this is always an interesting one. What we don't, maybe you remember, especially if you grew up in church, is that self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. And what's awesome about the fruit of the Spirit, meaning that it's produced as the Holy Spirit empowers you to live a life that worthy of the calling that you have received from Jesus is that self-control is not something that we ourselves actually have the strength to be able to produce. It's a fruit that is promised as we stay abided and connected to Jesus. But before I get there again, self-control is this reality. It is this important, impressive practice of learning to maintain control of the beast of one's own sinful desires, when I, self-control is, is at work in the believer and the Christian, even, even in the person, it's able to say no to oneself. And that's the hardest part about self-control. It's a hard part sometimes about life. It's to say no to yourself. It's to say self, no, I don't need that. It, rema- it means remaining master of your own domain, not only in times of joy, but also when faced with trial and temptation. First Corinthians nine, Paul tells us and gives us a beautiful picture of what a self-controlled life looks like. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So here are four quick things of what a self-controlled life looks like. Number one, a self-controlled life pursues the right prize. He said the follower of Jesus, the self-controlled person, recognize what the ultimate aim and goal is. And that is him, more than anything else in this world. It's not even heaven, and that's what we think it is in the church. because if it's heaven, that means I have to wait. But I can actually experience the prize now. The self-controlled life pursues the right prize. Second thing it says is a self-controlled life requires, involves discipline. He says, they train. This is important. It's not just something that happens haphazardly. There's a reality of discipline and training that needs to be a part of our life as followers of Jesus. He said the self-control life involves discipline. Third thing, a self-controlled life demands focus. And when you have your ultimate aim and prize is Jesus, he then immediately becomes the focus. And not just him as person, Lord, Savior, and King, but also, yes, the commands that he's laid out, but the experiences that we get to have day in and day out with him now. And so when Jesus is my prize, he automatically becomes my focus. We are not boxers, right? Just, I don't know how to box. Just, I. <laughs> <not how, laughs> Like, ain't that like, random. It's the focus. When Jesus is our prize, he becomes automatically our focus. And then just the reality, this, a self-controlled life invo- involves the entire individual and person. It's holistic. Again, it's not just physical. Because nothing about following Jesus is just physical. What, what we want to do even with gluttonies, we want to say, no, it's just physical. No, a self-controlled life has self-control over every aspect of the person by a guy by the name of philip towner says it this way christian self-control is multifaceted it involves both control over one's behavior but more importantly the impulses and emotions beneath it and that's where jesus comes into play again every series we've done this every talk we've done this in this series i should say it's not just all right here's the vice Here's the virtue good luck it's called bridge to becoming because God does a work and a means of grace in our life to help us pursue self-control and ultimately live that out and embody it. And the means of grace for tonight is holiness. There's something bigger and greater that the Holy Spirit desires to do in us. It's not just be self-controlled, good luck, here's entered the world, have fun. It's God is doing a work within you. And that work is a lot of things, like you said, right? First week was Love. We've talked about these different things. Tonight, the means of grace God desires for you (laughs) to experience, because that's a real reality of what holiness is, but also to pursue the means of grace is holiness. And Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God, and there's a lot of graces of God that we experience, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And that grace in verse 12 it says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That means of grace is holiness. So, four things on how God works holiness within our life. And holiness, I'm just going to define right now as set apart. Holiness is set apart from the world becoming more like Jesus, set apart from the world pursuing the things of God, set apart from the world for the advancement of God's kingdom. And it's a work that the Holy Spirit does within us, not something that we even have the strength to even come close to. And the very first thing, ways that will help us to reframe this idea of holiness leading to self-control, number one, is that you have been made holy, you've been set apart because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Period. First Peter, Peter, if you, man, you've heard us talk identity a ton, and we're never going to get sick of talking about identity because you need to know who God says you are. But Peter, as an aspect of calling us who we are, he says, You are a holy people. He says, You are a royal priesthood. An aspect of your identity as a son and daughter in Jesus is that you are holy, and you're holy because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Not anything that you have done, not anything that you can do, but the crucifixion of Jesus that paid for your sin, past, present, and future, and faith and trusting that that payment was more than enough to pay for that sin, to get rid of it completely, trust in Jesus has made you holy and pure. So you are holy, set apart, first and foremost, by the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is getting at in the Last Supper where he he turns it from just a physical meal, a feast, to a spiritual reality that he wants us to pursue for the apostles at that time after he left, but for the history of the early, for for the church continued. He says in 1920, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave to them saying, this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Now think about this, the disciples missed that Jesus was going to die. So in the middle of a yearly feast that they had done for their entire life, recognizing and celebrating the Passover, Jesus said, hey, let's take the bread, which symbolizes my body, which is broken for you. And after the meal, hey, let's take the cup together, which symbolizes and represents the blood that is shed for you. Jesus hadn't died yet. I can't imagine what they're thinking as he's talking about this. I can't imagine what's going through their head. But I can imagine the first time that they took communion together after Jesus had ascended. And how beautiful that moment was. Because they recognize that they've been set apart by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Number two, second thing, is you are being set apart, made holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is not something that we do on our own. Ever, because we can't. Amen, because I would fail. Right? Right? We are being set apart, made holy by the power of the Spirit. We cannot heal, grow, fix, or mature ourselves in our own strength. Yet we need our body, soul, and spirit to be completely surrendered to God, the Holy Spirit. And that's how, in partnership with God, we grow to be like Jesus in every aspect of our life. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, prepared in advance to do good works for him and his kingdom. And because we are his workmanship, he is continually working in us, helping us ultimately be the sons and daughters he created us to be. And that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Third thing, you are to, so you've been set apart, you are being set apart, and now you have some responsibility here, are to set yourself apart, pursuing holiness. And we do this by co-opting fasting with feasting in in the feast and the celebration that's what they did they celebrated they praised they worshiped in the fasting they confessed do you have this cycle a way for you to displace gluttony as you pursue holiness do you have a cycle of fasting of confession of repentance of laying yourself down combined with the feasting the celebration Amen, the remembrance of what God has done. You are to set yourself apart, pursuing holiness. Again, that happens, why? Because the Holy Spirit's doing the work and he does that, why? Because you've already been set apart and made holy because of what Jesus has done for you. Last one, you are empowered to help set others apart for the purposes of God. And I love like your guys' heart and passion right there, right? Train everyone. Because every single one of you, empowered by the Holy Spirit, has people in your life, you have sphere of influences and you have relationships that God has intentionally put you in people's lives to help them know Jesus. You have been empowered by God, co-laboring with him to help set other people apart, meaning to help them know and find Jesus. You wanna know how to do that, what that looks like? continue, yes, to get involved in our small group, but immediately we have something, I don't know if you've heard about it, tomorrow night at 8.30, circuit riders are giving a little training. They're gonna help us a little bit more what this looks like, that we have been set apart and that we are to help and be a part of what God's doing in people's lives to set them apart, knowing, helping them find Jesus. Because we can. Your time is not later after you graduate college. For you young adults in your workplace, the time is not later when you think you need to get married and have kids. You guys, it's time now God has called you out. Be ready.